Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room podcast. In Ireland, around 570,000 women are currently in the menopausal or perimenopausal stage, with approximately 350,000 of these women still in paid employment. So what can we do to support these women and does the level of effort being put in by Irish companies match the scale of support needed? Well, thankfully, some companies are doing some great work on this. I are delighted to be joined by today by a company uh, who have implemented and embedded menopause policies and many others which very recently have actually helped them to successfully retain a Tina Swan Bronze Accreditation for Positive Equality Practices in Higher Education. Today we're joined by Barry Holmes, Director of Human Resources at the Royal College of Surgeons. Thanks for joining us again, Barry. How are you? Thanks, Owen. Yeah, great to be here. I'm good. Thank you very much. Brilliant stuff. And as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, Founder and Managing Director here at Inside HR. How are you, Mary? I'm great. Thanks, Owen. And delighted to have you back again, Barry. Brilliant stuff. So look, we'll jump right in. Um, so Barry, I'll come to yourself first. Um, I suppose we know you've done a, a lot of different policies and a lot of great work this year. But when it came to kind of planning and crafting, I suppose, the menopause policy in particular, was there any particular Kickstarter, employee input, continuous improvement? Probably a few things, was there? Yeah, there was a few. I mean, firstly, I suppose I, I should say that I feel kind of humbled and slightly vulnerable speaking about a topic that I've been on such a learning curve uh, personally on and, and I've learned so much about and I've quite a lot still left to learn in relation to it. But I suppose the genesis of this for me uh, and in RCSI was I, I had attended a menopause summit, um, which had about 450 women present at it. Um, it's about nine months ago now. And, and I was one of three men who I counted who were present. And I guess that feeling of isolation that, that sort of gripped me that day in, in some way, I think mirrors the feelings that, that women must feel in the workplace when dealing with with menopause and, and why webinars like this are are so important. And, and it was actually at that summit, I kind of reflected on my own family, my my wife, my older sisters, and, and my own mother who experienced early menopause when I was barely a teenager. And I had no idea what she was going through or, or indeed how I could have helped her if I'd, if I'd known a little bit more at the time. And, and my wife, my two sisters are both uh, going experiencing perimenopause at the moment. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of living through it at the moment or with it at the moment. But you mentioned those statistics, Owen, and you know, as, as they translate into the RCSI workforce, we've predominantly a female workforce here, about 67% of, of our workforce are female. And, and of those, uh, 26% are currently between the ages of 45 and 55. And they're the main years when most women will experience menopause. And, and uh, you know, again, without bombarding sort of bombarding people with statistics, what was news to me was 25% of women would experience no symptoms, 50% would, would experience some symptoms and 25% will experience severe symptoms. So, and, and you know, it, 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 it can become a fairly significant issue for women. I think that that survey that you mentioned in the, with, with some of those statistics at the outset in the menopause, so I think 40% of women experienced 
the menopause tradition, uh, menopause transition rather, considered giving up work due to the severity of their symptoms. So, so for us, really, it was it's 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 a talent issue in terms of both attraction and retention of the staff that are here. So, so I suppose really it's a mixed bag of drivers. Owen, it kind of bubbled up from conversations with staff, managers seeking advice from HR and how to support team members experiencing menopause. And I suppose then that wider sort of social attention on menopause in the workplace with TV programs and, and the like. And I suppose it all pointed to a need to, to address it in, in the organization. So that's really the the sort of backdrop as it relates to us. But I think everybody has to kind of translate it uh, to their own personal circumstances. And, and it's not just an issue for, for women in the workplace, it's an issue for men as well. And we have a lot that we can learn and, and need to understand in relation to it all. 100%. And I suppose, Mary, from what Barry is saying there, it is kind of that typical or what we like to see where I suppose an implementation of a policy comes from various sources, various reasons and a big goal behind it. I suppose, Mary, when it comes to a lot of policies and ones like this in particular, it's not just about compliance, is it? There's a lot of different factors, reasons, ways to do it, Mary, isn't there? There, there really is. And I think it's a, an interesting discussion for us to be having here today, uh, Barry and Owen, uh, against the backdrop of the first case, one in the UK involving a, a 52-year-old um, social worker. Uh, who experienced menopausal symptoms, uh, including anxiety, and was given the warnings over her absence from work. Um, and her statement being that she had felt let down by her employer and isolated because her employer had had no knowledge um, or empathy or compassion for her for what she was experiencing. Um, and in effect, it was found that she had been discriminated against uh, by her employer. And so, you know, I think that kind of gives an example of how serious these symptoms can be for women and how important a policy is, um, which one allows, I suppose, the conversation to even take place in the first place, um, and to the possibility of reasonable accommodations uh, being made. Now, for most uh, perimenopausal or menopausal women, they're not going to consider themselves disabled by the symptoms that they experience, but in some cases they may, and employers need to be aware of um, the potential risks for an organization by not um, being progressive like you are uh, Barry in your organization um, and putting in place policies um, of this nature which are just so important from a women's health perspective. 100% and like I suppose Barry RCSI has done a lot of great work this year and, and recently even gone beyond this year I suppose uh, previously around, I suppose, kind of different policies. I know we spoke about the um, domestic violence and abuse leave policy. We spoke about it on this podcast a few months ago. I know there was obviously enhanced dignity of work policy, gender identity and expression policy, loads of good work done. I suppose, Barry, did the menopause policy, I know you've outlined the reasons or the inspirations or whatever you want to call them, but did this form kind of a, a wider piece of work as well? And how important was it to kind of build these policies into the, that kind of wider strategy to make sure they're embedded, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I mean, thanks, Owen. I mean, I, I, you know, I think having these conversations has to be anchored in a 
in a strategy and a culture that's receptive to have them. Um, so I think if they're just if they're just happening out of context and they're not congruent with the the sort of normal cadence and operating rhythm of an organization, it'll feel a bit strange. So, you know, we have a, uh, we're lucky to have a dedicated sort of policy review committee who they, you know, review all policies on an annual basis and, and look at what's, you know, a bit, of, a bit of environmental scanning to see what's coming down the line from a legislative compliance perspective, uh, looking and seeing what's best to breed, both within our sector and outside our sector. Um, just to ensure that we can sort of try and try and stay ahead of the game, but I think what a lot a lot of these policies, we've kind of approached it from, not from a, maybe initially, there's a kind of a defensive um, approach and it's kind of a compliance based approach, but really actually when you look at it, it's a broader, um, it's a it's a broader issue that I think that has really arisen arise, you know, driven by COVID, whereby you know from lots of different perspectives the sort of the lines have become increasingly blurred in relation to people's work and uh, personal lives. And, you know, people don't leave their personal lives at the door when they come into to work, whether that's the physical office or, 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 you know, working from home. So I suppose from our point of view, you know, the menopause policy was one of a wider suite of, of sort of person-centric policies that, policies that we had put in place, all recognising that we have diverse colleagues experiencing all sorts of different uh, life events and challenges which inevitably impact them in the workplace and I suppose we're intentionally building a a culture a positive culture where people feel empowered and proud to do their best work and and sort of having that broad basket of HR policies which aim to support staff whatever they're experiencing you know from a commercial business perspective it leads to enhanced commitment and, and engagement I mean what we're trying to do over the last little while is kind of bundling our policies under under particular topics. So family leave, for example, is one rather than maybe the more traditional way in which we would have communicated policies or policies would have been available to people, which was just a kind of an A to Z. So it really allows us to showcase the wider range of, of supportive policies in a way that's more meaningful to employees. And and I suppose really with, with this topic is we're, I suppose we're really trying to normalize conversations about menopause and perimenopause and having an appropriate policy and supports in place to ensure that anyone at RCSI can feel confident to ask for or access the help and support they need is really important. Definitely. And I think, Mary, one word that jumped out to me from what Barry said there, Mary, was culture. I mean, when it comes to policies like like this and many of the other great policies we've, we've seen, I suppose, from various companies, not just RCSI, a lot, of, a lot of people doing some great work, which is fantastic. There is a cultural element to this as well, Mary, isn't there? And I think bundling that with that wider strategy, as Barry says, around the support of nature, providing the the safe space for for employees. There is a little bit of a, a wider benefit to this beyond, as we know, beyond just putting in the policy because because of various reasons. I suppose there is a cultural element there, Mary, isn't there? Yeah, well, a policy in isolation to the reality of experience means nothing. So the policy is there to provide information support guidance and advice um, to the workforce and it, it has to be backed by practice doesn't it because otherwise it's meaningless and and we're always saying this own you know having a beautiful book or carefully crafted you know policies on an internet or or however you choose to do it whether that's through video or whatever way you're communicating with your people 
around the policies of the organisation. It has to be backed by the reality. The reality is if as a perimenopausal or menopausal woman, you're experiencing symptoms that are having such an impact on you that it is affecting your ability maybe to get up in the morning, uh, to attend work, to experience, there's such a vast array of symptoms that women can be experiencing um, that, you know, a manager's ability to understand that is key, but not just a manager, it's those people around you too. There's a lot of, a lot of snide comments and smart jokes and all that's still going on today about menopausal women, which are, you know, very offensive to them. Um, and I think a lot of that is bred through lack of knowledge and lack of information and people really not understanding what the actual lived experience for a woman might be. Um, and the more open our culture is around all of these topics and, and the less taboo that they are, uh, the more important it is. I mean, even I think we did our first podcast on uh, menopause two years ago with Nicola Wolfe. And, you know, it was absolute news to me at that stage, having never had a conversation with anyone in my entire life about menopause. And I'm a woman. Um, uh, you know, my mother, my grandmother, my sisters, my friends, nobody was talking about it up until a couple of years ago. And for, for the reality then from a women's health perspective and from an individual woman is these things can be very isolating um, and the importance of being able to openly speak to not just your family, like you're talking about, Barry, but your, your mother, your sisters, your cousins, women in the workplace. It shouldn't be taboo and it's not a joke. It's certainly not a joke for anybody who's going through it or anybody who's experiencing really severe symptoms. Definitely. And I suppose I'd echo what Barry said at the outset about, even from my own perspective, having these chats and I suppose just the research we do and the side of things we do, Mary, been a huge learning curve. And it's it's something that I think Barry will agree. It has really only appeared in conversations a lot in the past couple of years, which is good in a way, but also it, it signals that there's more to do and there probably is other things we should be chatting about as well. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, I just as, as Mary's talking there, I mean, I, I mentioned earlier on about my own mother and I've only talked about it with her recently. Like she's 84, but I can remember my, my father saying to me that mom was going in for an operation. She wouldn't be around for a couple of weeks. And when I asked what she was going in for, he said, well, she's going through the change. Now, I didn't know what that meant, but it sounded bad and serious. And it sounded like I had to be a good 11 year old boy for a couple of months when she was in hospital. But we we never spoke about it again until you know, 30 years later. And I had a long conversation with my mother all about it. And like, I, as I said earlier on, I mean, I just never knew what she was going through. Um, and, you know, I think as a, as, as, as a, as a man or as a, as, as a boy, as I was then to have had some understanding of that would have really enabled, would have empowered me to be, you know, maybe, maybe slightly better behaved than I might otherwise have been. Um, but on a more serious note, I think in, the, in in a workplace context now, as I'm a bit older and more mature, it's just, 
to 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 allow people the comfort and the uh, safe and the knowledge that they can have a conversation with somebody about it. I mean, it's a fairly basic expectation that you, you should have as an employee of any organization that you can talk about how you're feeling, whether it's a mental health issue or a menopausal issue, uh, uh, a, a, any type of issue, and that the, that the, that the culture is receptive to help you. Uh, and 99 times out of 100 where people get that help, you, you know, it's responded in kind in ways that can't even be measured. Um, and, and I think it's just raising that consciousness amongst women, from women to women, but also amongst men. And, and I think, you know, we've been very keen here to make sure that the conversation isn't just a conversation that women have with women. It's a conversation that 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 is happening across the organization that's raising the uh, the awareness of everybody working in the organization because, as I said, 67% of our population is, is, is female. Mm, 100%. And I suppose then, Barry, from a HR perspective and kind of digging into the, the HR side of things, I suppose when it came to implementing Embedded, embedding this policy um, to make it as successful as you want it to be. I suppose there is a lot of touch points, isn't there? So can you talk to us a little bit about how the implementation kind of side of things went? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's I wouldn't say it's fully embedded. I, I would say we're still on that journey. Um, Owen, I mean, I think you know we originally drafted the policy in HR. The genesis of it, genesis of it came from HR. We did some benchmarking, as I've said, externally, and we consulted widely with staff internally and with the, the healthcare professionals that we have across RCSI, we actually launched it via an, the, the policy via an online session open to all staff. We'd over, I think, 120 people rang in or dialed into it. It was a, a virtual session. And, and then from that, the session, uh, sorry, in, in, in that session, there was a, I, I spoke a little bit. We got a member of the senior team, one of the senior females who spoke very openly and candidly about her own menopause experience and how it impacted her at work. Um, we then had some awareness training, which we uh, which we had uh, kicked off as part of that session with uh, one of our own in-house GPs who, who specialises in women's health. Um, but I suppose from a sort of a broader perspective, we we provided training for for sort of HR and people managers specifically focusing on how menopause plays out in the workplace and how best to discuss it and support people who who want that support. Um, and, and, you know, again, it's difficult if you haven't come across it before. How do you open up that conversation, either if you're an individual who wants to talk about it or if you're a colleague or a peer or a manager who would like to, who thinks that the person isn't quite themselves and they might need some uh, support. So we actually have uh, recruited. Um, and again, I think it's something that maybe companies might look at. It, it was quite it's been quite successful for us as a kind of a a concept is we've effectively recruited a group of uh, menopause champions who who they've received specialist training. Um, I mean, about 15 of those people, about six or seven uh, guys and sort of eight or nine women. And we're, we're actually starting a quarterly um, menopause cafe, which the first of which is on the uh, 16th of October, which will just, it's open to anybody to come along. And again, it's just over a cup of coffee, uh, people just who want to come together and just have a conversation. So creating that sort of community of of practice and lived experience. Um, and we've also then just in terms of trying to integrate this into our um, sort of normal uh, way of doing things, the, the policy itself is specifically referenced that induction for, for new staff. And it's part of our wellbeing module. We've integrated it into our wellbeing module on our leadership development program for for all people leaders at RCSI. So I think if you're looking at implementation, I think it needs to be broad-based. It, it needs to be have, an, have a number of touch points. 
Um, and, and, and I think it needs to be, when you're looking at it, something that's going to be sustained. So this is, this is probably, uh, as I would see it, it's, it's one of the, um, it's, it's one of the areas or one of the issues that, um, hasn't been spoken about. And Mary touched on this earlier on. It's, it's, it's probably the single most, single biggest, um, topic that impacts, uh, performance in the workplace, which has been spoken about so little, um, and it's trying to find, as, as I say, that that sort of safe space through a multiplicity of fora within an organisation where people can feel comfortable having that conversation, um, and it's treated with uh, the the respect with which it deserves. You know, definitely, and it's great to see so many, so much work and effort being put into it. So it's great to hear those insights. Actually, um, it's fantastic. I suppose, Mary, my next question was for you was going to be, I suppose, can you talk to us a bit more about the implementation piece and how important it is to get that right. But just from what Barry's saying, Mary, it's probably, I think the words that jumped out to me were continuous integration. A lot of these policies have to be kind of lived and lived and breathing all the time to really be embedded, Mary, don't they? It's, it's not just about implementation and then it's there, everyone knows about it, best of luck. Yeah, we. I think given that, you know, there's still an element of shame for women around this whole topic and, and that they they don't come forward to discuss it in, a, in an open way themselves. And um, that is only happening in the last few years. And it's wonderful to see. It's wonderful to see women talking to each other, uh, women talking to their families uh, and avenues for women to talk in their workplace too. And there's not many avenues in, in reality across most organizations so it is truly impressive to see uh, what you're doing uh, around um, you know a policy like this where women themselves have you know hidden the fact that they have these symptoms and maybe for many years and instead choose to leave the workforce um, you know if the if the symptoms are that severe um, and so I think from an implementation point of view it's at a societal level too that um you know we're not there yet the conversation is still relatively new and it's going to take time for you know women to be comfortable with it as a topic you know certainly um women of of my age uh, aren't talking a whole lot about it still. I have noticed that, um, but younger women are um, and much more open, say, than some of my peers are about this topic. And I think it's going to take time for women to be comfortable bringing this into the workplace um, and comfortable speaking to someone. But as Barry says, if you don't train people um, for these conversations, they go horribly wrong, can't they? In someone's absence, like we see in the UK, someone's absence because of their menopause being treated as a disciplinary matter. Um, you know, so you can imagine the kind of uh, reception that that particular individual had when she raised these issues as, as part of the reason for her absence and still got disciplined because of it. So in society, uh, and that's the UK, I don't believe it's a whole lot different than maybe we would have here in Ireland as well. Um, 
it's important that, you know, always as employers, we're taking a sensible approach that when we're looking at policies, we're not just looking at that piece of paper um, that we're really looking at how we can support it. I love the idea of the cafes, um, you know, and I'd love to hear how they that goes. Uh, Barry, maybe you'll come back to us again for a third time. You're popular on our podcast. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Just to hear about, you know, the practical reality. And I'm curious, you know, you have the policy in place and you have the, the champions in place. What's the take up like, Barry? How are you? Uh, I'm, I think in terms of total champions we have, it's in the high teens. Uh, we'd like 20 or so uh, we had to kind of nudge a few a few blokes to kind of to get a few more blokes involved um and it's the ones that have have kind of experienced it and i mean i, I even felt when i was before i even talked about it at all i i, I kind of felt like it wasn't my story to tell so i i, I kind of had spoken to my wife and my sisters and my mom and sort of said listen this is becoming an issue in our workplace i i don't want to be using your name or talking about you, you know, without your, we didn't quite get into GDP, family GDPR, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. within reason, I, I felt it was, it was kind of important to do that because, um, and I think people, other, other men that came forward, I think had, it, it's just interesting, had sort of similar conversations with wives or mothers or sisters or whatever. Um, but, you know, it's, I, I think what's been really interesting is the fact that, people have seen it like the, the idea for the menopause cafe came from the menopause champions themselves so it wasn't seen as a HR telling us we should do this it's actually come from within the organization so in, in many ways it's kind of it's it's been a it's kind of democratized the topic um because we're kind of letting it take its own course in terms of what we feel needs to be done to try and support women um, so, so the cafe idea just, as I say, came from the champions themselves. Um, what they've basically said is, you know, the group has kind of said, look, can we just try a few of them and see how it goes? Now, it, it'll be interesting to see who, who turns up, how the conversations go. It's not intended to be sort of presentation. It's just more exactly as it says, a cafe. It's just it's it's conversations and people coming together. And, and from that, hopefully greater levels of support might come on an individual level or or indeed if things roll up and, and there's more we need to do at a policy level or a, at a leadership level, we look to do it because, you know, as I said earlier, I mean, for me, uh, from from a from a sort of a, a commercial point of view, this is a talent attraction and retention play for us um, that I think if people are, you know, it's it's the old adage if you if you can't see it you can't be it if companies aren't talking about these things and somebody potentially is experiencing this in their lives you know if if you can find a basis to be able to connect with an employer or a brand a brand if you're thinking of moving that might be a differentiator for you and indeed if you're if you're working on RCSI and you're going through a difficult period and you get feel that support you know it it, it kind of codifies a a desire to stay within the organisation and 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 we want to keep the smart people that we have. Um, and attract more smart people in in the future, you know. Definitely, and I suppose the the question, the wrong question, Barry, is to say what are what's the success, the results been? Like I said, there's connotations there that the job is done, that kind of stuff, and it probably seems a bit early. But as I suppose there is, it is good to have some indicators about how this will be received and grow over time, isn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, anecdotal feedback to date is very positive on the policy. Um, we've we've an our upcoming annual staff survey where we're where we're for the first time going to ask specific questions around measuring awareness and 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 impact of the policy. But but I suppose more generally, the, the breadth of topics covered by HR policies is welcomed. So people are kind of saying, look, it's it's great that the HR policy framework is broadening out from its maybe its more traditional view of. Uh, sort of rules and regulations, and and you know there's there's high levels of awareness across the organisation of the policies, and I think that policy review group again, I think for your listeners to to sort of ha- how can you ensure that the policy framework is one that stays relevant and current? I think we we've set up that group. It's made up of a cross section of people uh, across uh, across the university, and and as I say, that's it's it's a really slick way of keeping people engaged on broader policy frameworks, on changes that need to take place, on keeping an eye out to what the best of the best are doing, because we can always do things better, um, and also regularly soliciting input from staff rather than just maybe the more traditional view of HR just updating their HR policies once a year. They're not our policies. It's We happen to be the maybe the guardians or the custodians of the policy framework, but but they're not our policies. They belong to every every member of staff. So so I think that democratization, as I mentioned earlier on, has been has been really important. But I suppose, Owen, to, to, to sort of put this in the in the broader context, I, I suppose it's it's been a catalyst for us in terms of what we've been doing to support um enhanced female leadership across the organization. And a lot of companies are doing lots of really good work. Um, and and we're no different in the in the sort of HEI sector. There's women only leadership programs, and we've we've put you know over 80, 90 of our senior female leaders through that. We've established fairly extensive mentoring. Um, over the last five years, we've we've established over two hundred mentoring partnerships through through HR, and seventy four percent of the mentees have been women. Um, so you know it's 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 part of a broader journey around possibly belatedly making sure that we're getting the best and giving the best to our female um leaders within the organization um and you know that 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 can only be a positive thing for our internal employer brand but also for our external brand 100% is something that touches so many different areas of the business in so many ways i suppose final kind of words or question to yourself mary just on that the whole i suppose getting started on on a policy if there's any listeners there that are thinking we don't have this where do we start? How do we start? A lot of it is looking out to, I suppose, companies like RCSI and other companies that are doing great work. A lot of it, Mary, is just starting, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's like you say, it's do you write the policy first? Do you consult? Do you set up um, some kind of group? who will look at this and I think any you can start anywhere with it so like Barry describes they they put the policy together in the first place having done the benchmarking and then presented it and presumably it's a different a different document to that which you first presented and it could be wildly different to the document you first presented but to me it doesn't really matter where you start you could start with a survey you could start with establishing a, a resource group you could start 
by drafting the policy and putting it in front of a, a group who are relevant. But, you know, think always when you're, when you're doing this, make sure your group is diverse. Um, it, you know, it, it's one of the things that really struck me you know, listening to my daughter who's 32 going on 33. She probably won't thank me for saying that publicly. But anyway, there you go. Um, but, you know, just... I'm always struck when I speak to her about the ease at which she talks about things like fertility issues and challenges and baby loss and those kind of things. The ease and comfort with which she speaks about those kind of issues, which really wouldn't have happened when back in the day when I was in my 30s you know we weren't having that fluidity of conversation so when you're thinking about your uh, resource groups or however you like to call to describe uh, the groups that you establish in your organization it can be very powerful uh, and and very helpful but to make sure that they're as diverse as possible that you're not just creating a group full of you know 40 and 50 year old women who you believe this might affect you're looking at your your new entrants you're looking at men you're looking at older and more younger men and women um transgender whatever you know you're bringing in that diversity because that is more powerful um and you can see things through different lenses when you do that so it's important that it's not just an older women's health issue and trees and that's part of the problem isn't it it's part of the problem when it comes to discussion of this whole area and understanding then that you know it's one thing to talk to women about maybe some of the more minor um elements that they're experiencing or symptoms that they're experiencing as part of menopause but it's quite a, a, a broad change in a woman's life uh, which can be happening at multiple different levels and to understand the physical the social impact it might have the emotional impact it might have uh, the impact on someone's mental health even so far as like that lady in the UK a, a 52 year old who it, it feel who is disabled because of menopause and you know the the symptoms vary hugely from woman to woman but the conversation is important the awareness is important the fear that men feel around discussing this topic and younger people feel about discussing this topic um it, once we get that to change a little bit more um i, I think there there that's that's the value to bringing a policy to life, to really implementing it. It's when you can be having that conversation with a 20 or 30 year old or um, a 50 year old happy to have that conversation and feeling comfortable. And it's just the normal um, discussion that takes place and everybody's not going to stop an awkward silence <laughs> you know isn't that the worst yeah. thing yeah. you make a revelation yeah. in the workplace and there's silence as nobody knows what to say to you <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and look at a really important discussion and hopefully a lot of inspiration there for 
our listeners, companies, organisations that want to do something in in this in this area, policy area, um, and at, at the very least, a nod to companies like RCSI who are leading the way and doing great work on this. So, so a nod to to Barry, his team, and and everyone else is doing doing everything to push this forward. Uh, so, look, thank you, Mary and Barry, for a very insightful discussion, really important, enjoyable discussion, actually, as well. Um, so, really appreciate your time. Thank you to everyone for listening. We'll catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast. So, don't forget to click subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels. As we always say, if you are enjoying these episodes, do please free, feel free to share them with colleagues, friends, and family. And even better, if you can leave us a review on whatever platform you're on, we'd really appreciate it. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at insighthr.ie. Thank you, Mary, and thank you, Barry. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.